0: Good morning again, church, and uh, it's great to be back. Um, thank you to those of you who prayed for me uh, as I was under the weather, and uh, it looks like last week several of our elders were out, so I don't know what that was about, but uh, I know the enemy is trying to do what he can to disrupt and disturb, and uh, so it's a, it's really a blessing to be together with uh, uh, the Kenmere Baptist Church family. I can't tell you how happy and glad it makes me, and of course, we support our brother, Herm, we just want you to know we love you, and we're here to be, be, walk with you in this, and um, as was said earlier, we're so grateful to know that Carol knew the Lord, and that was clear to all of us, those of us who met her and just her so um, her, her love and her joy, and so we just want you to know we love you, and we're here with you. Um, so church, if you haven't already, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6, um, John 6, you're going to need your Bible. If you don't have one, there's one in the chair before, in front of you, so you can grab that out. Um, John chapter 6. Um, have you ever wondered why God created us with a need for food? A need for food. Have you ever wondered? I mean, I, I, He could have... Uh, really, He could have created us any way He pleased, right? Surely, God could have created us without the need to eat and, and drink. He could have done that, but no, the human body cannot survive um, even a few weeks without food and no more than a few days without food and water. Why? Why? Well, in our passage um, this morning, Jesus actually reveals to us something that is truly remarkable. If you really consider what he's saying, that this basic act of eating, okay, something that you and I have done since the day we were born, something that you probably take for granted, you do it so often, but this basic act of eating, what Jesus is telling us is, is it actually is a metaphor. It's a metaphor. And it's meant to show us how we are to receive Jesus. How you and I are to receive Jesus. As you're going to see in this text, just as eating involves hunger, right? Hunger for your food. And eating involves trust, right? You have to trust the food you're about to consume. Otherwise, you wouldn't, you wouldn't consume it. Eating involves union with your food once, it's, once you've ingested it. And eating provides sustenance from your food, just like that, Jesus tells us that um, these two are all part of what it means to receive Him, to receive Him. Hunger, trust, union, and sustenance, okay? And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, okay? How eating bread is a metaphor for receiving Christ Himself. And as a disclaimer, I should, I should just say up front, this is a hard teaching, Okay, I'm not saying that. The Bible actually tells us in verse 66, which we look at you know, next Sunday, um, that many of the disciples actually stopped following Jesus because of this message. They stopped following Him in light of this message. But my prayer for us this morning is wherever you are okay, in relation to Jesus Christ, wherever you may be this morning, that we would all see what it really means to receive Him, okay, what it really looks like. And for those of you who have not, might today be the day that you do. Might today be the day that you do. As Jesus teaches us how, that today would be the day you do. So, with that in mind, let's begin with a word about the context. I hope you're there. John chapter 6. We've already covered most of this chapter. Jesus has performed the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, right? We looked at that. And sadly, instead of seeing this sign, this miraculous sign that pointed to him the people, sadly, um, they sought after him, not for himself, but they sought after him for more food, right? For more mere physical food. They missed it. They missed the sign. And so they've come to synagogue in the, uh, the synagogue in Capernaum, verse 59, and Jesus begins to teach them that he is the bread of life. That's what Pastor Deo preached on last Sunday. That's what Pastor Dave preached on the Sunday before, right? This message that Jesus is teaching to the people, that he is the bread of life. And now we've come to the end of the message, okay? The sermon, if you will. Jesus is giving a sermon, and he's come to his conclusion, his final part of the message, and that's what we're looking at today. And we pick things up in verse 51. So if you want to go there, verse 51. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And don't miss this. Here it is, okay? And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is what? My flesh. So there it is, okay? The metaphor is given to you in the very first verse right? That the bread Jesus is giving, the bread He's talking about for the life of the world is His flesh, which means His body, right? So, we're in John chapter 6, and Jesus is already foreshadowing what He was going to do, right? He's going to give up His body, His flesh on the cross, dying so that you and I, who are sinners, can be forgiven, so we can have life with God, right? Spiritual, eternal life with God. And can I say something? If if that doesn't interest you, okay, if that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't move you at all this morning, can I just suggest a reason? Perhaps the reason that you are not interested in the food that Jesus is offering is because you are not hungry. You're not hungry. Eating begins with hunger. It begins with hunger. You know, I, uh, I remember as a teenager uh, going to Chinese buffets with my family, okay? And uh, I don't know if you're like me at all, But I'm very particular, I need to do things in a particular order, I can't go all over the place, so I got to start with the appetizers, right? So I start with the bread and then the little butter that comes in the, and then, you know, the wonton soup, and then you move to the salad section, you have the crab salad, right? And then you move section, and what happens inevitably when you eat at a buffet in this particular way, when you do that, what happens is when you finally get to the best items, when you get to the main food, you're full. You're full. I remember my mom, my mom used to say, she used to warn me every time, don't eat the soup, so much soup. Why? Stop it with the soup. You're not going to have an appetite for the main meal. And she was right. She was right. And friends, so it is with Christ. Because you see, to receive Christ, to actually eat this living bread, you have to first come to a place of spiritual Hunger. You have to have a spiritual appetite. What what is hunger? It's that panging sensation, right? That sensation, that unsatisfied sensation. And that's what you need to have in your heart, right? This awareness of a great need, which cannot be met by anyone except Jesus. This need that drives you to Jesus for satisfaction. That's what hunger is, the spiritual hunger. Um, In his book, A hunger for God. If 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 you want a great book on prayer and fasting, there it is by John Piper. A hunger for God. In that book, he tells us why we lack spiritual hunger. Okay, and I think he's bang on. Okay, I want to give you the a quote from him. He says, "If you don't feel, and some of you are here, and you and you feel that way, right? Like, why don't I have a hunger for God? Why don't I have an appetite? Here is what he says: If you don't feel." Strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God. If you don't feel those desires, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. That's not why. As if you've exhausted God. Okay, He has no more to give you. That's not it. Here's what He says. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of this world that you're stuffed your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. There's no room for the great. I think he's bang on. You're stuffed. You know, it's not just the X-rated movie you watched that dampens your appetite for God, right? It's not just the egregious sin you committed that dampens your appetite for God. I'm not saying they don't. Those things do dampen your appetite for God. But what is it more often that keeps you from being hungry for God? It is the hours spent, eyes glued to a device, mindlessly watching this show after that show, trying to entertain yourself, right? Scanning social media, coveting what she has and he has and you don't have. And then when nighttime comes and it's finally time to read the Bible, you're struggling. You're struggling to to read through a handful of verses. And do you wonder why you don't hunger for God? Could it be that you have nibbled all day at the table of the world and now you're full? You're full. And think about this. Even though it is only now that you have come to the main meal, right? It's only now you're in the presence of God who has a feast of joyful truth before you, ready for you. But you can't savor a single bite because you're full. Because you're full. So just as eating begins with hunger, receiving Jesus begins with hunger. But the crowds were not hungry for God. Look at verse 52. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves. What do they say? They said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Right? What do they do? They missed it. Right? Once again, right? Their eyes were fixed on the physical. They were fixed on the literal, right? On the superficial. And they missed the spiritual truth that lied beneath the metaphor. Of course, Jesus is not talking about cannibalism, right? Right? I mean, this is is forbidden in the Old Testament law. Of course he's not talking about eating his literal flesh. But the unbelief, the unbelief of the crowds led them to misunderstand his words. And can I tell you something? They're not the first to misunderstand the words of Jesus. And they're not the last, right? They're not the the last either. Um, You remember Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus? John chapter 3, verse 4, what does he say to Jesus? He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Right? Remember that? He missed it. He missed it. What about the Samaritan woman? In, in John chapter 4, verse 15, initially, what does she say to Jesus? She says, sir, give me this water, right? Give me this water so I, don't ha- I won't be thirsty and I don't have to come to this well again, right, to draw water. Initially, she, she too missed it. How many friends, coworkers, neighbors do you know who have fallen into this same error, right? Where they, where they 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 pick Bible verses, right? They pick Bible verses out of context, right? And their eyes are fixed on the physical and without knowledge they argue them, they dispute them, all the while missing the deep, life-giving spiritual truth within the very words of God. You know people like this? You know people like this. So how does Jesus respond? Okay? How does Jesus respond? It may not be how you and I would have responded, okay? Check this out. Verse 53. How does he respond to their unbelief? Interestingly, he doubles down. Okay? He doubles down on the metaphor. Check this out. Verse 53. So Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in you. He doubles down on the metaphor. Keep going. Verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 55: For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. So, so I hope you're following what's happening, okay? So, so the, the people were fixed on the physical, right? They were fixed on the literal and they couldn't see the spiritual truth, what Jesus is talking about, and Jesus could have clarified here, right? As you're reading that, don't you think so? Like, like they're obviously not getting it. They're not, they're not getting that it's a metaphor. He could have just paused here and said, no, no, no. I'm not talking about literal flesh, right? I'm talking, it's a, it's a metaphor. He could have clarified, but he doesn't. And honestly, as I prepared, that kind of bothered me for a little bit. <laughs> as I was studying this text, why wouldn't he... Why wouldn't he clarify? Well, in response to their unbelief and their disputing. Well, he doesn't because, I, and I think Charles Spurgeon explained this well. He says, you know, among all the many kinds of literal food and drink that there are. Think about it, okay? In the world, how many different kinds of food and drink are there? There's so many different kinds of literal food and drink. But among all of those different kinds of food and drink, there is none There's no food and no drink that is worthy to be called true food or true drink but Jesus. There's none. There's no literal food that is worthy enough to be called true food but Jesus because Jesus' flesh is true food to our souls, right? His blood, which means his, his death on the cross, it is true drink to our hearts. You know, these people, the crowds, they should, have, they should have known that Jesus was not speaking literally. He wasn't speaking of eating his flesh and blood. You know why? Because eating blood would go against everything they were taught. I want to show you this. Leviticus, way back in Leviticus chapter 17. This is, every Jew would know this. If anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn or travel among us eats any blood, what is God going to do? I will set my face against that person, right, who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. The, people, the crowd should have known this. And look at the next verse. Why, why is blood so important in God's sight? Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. Your life is in your blood. You understand that, right? If, if I were to drain your blood, you would die, right? Life, Your life is in the blood. And so, God is teaching us that in order to atone for sin, for a life to substitute for another life, what must be shed, blood. Blood must be shed. It happened in the Old Testament, right, through the sacrifice, sacrificial system, and finally in the New Testament it happened through Jesus, right? His blood had to be spilled because His life was in the blood. And so, verse 12, he says, Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person shall eat blood among you. You must not eat blood. This should have been clear to the Jewish crowds. This should have been absolutely clear. But the question follows then, okay, if he's not talking about literal flesh and blood, what, we have to ask the question, what does Jesus really mean, right? What does he really mean when he says, when he talks about eating and drinking, what does this really mean? Well, in order to actually decipher this, um, you have to see what Jesus tells us is the outcome of eating and drinking. Okay? So, what's the outcome of the metaphor? Look back at verse 53 for a second. Verse 53. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, what happens? What's the outcome? You will have no... Life in you. Life is the outcome. Look at the next verse, verse 54. Same thing. He says, Eating, uh, um, uh, he says, Whoever eats, feeds on my flesh, and drinks my blood, what's the outcome? Eternal life. And so, follow me here. The outcome of the metaphor, the outcome of eating and drinking is life, right? Is life. And so, if that's the outcome, life, And Jesus says that eating and drinking is what's going to lead to that outcome. It's going to lead to life. What must eating and drinking refer to? What must it refer to? Well, you don't have to guess, okay? You don't have to guess because Jesus has already told the crowds again and again and again. And the answer is faith. Faith. Faith in Jesus is what leads to life. I want to show you this. Look, 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 look a few verses earlier, okay? This was covered last Sunday. John 6, verse 27. What does he say? Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to what? To life, right? Skip down. They ask, what should we do to do, to, if, to do the works of God? He says in verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in Him. Faith leads to Life. Look at the next verse. uh, Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. There's the outcome. And they say, okay, give us this bread always. And he says, I am the bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Verse 35. And whoever believes in me should never thirst. Faith leads to life. Keep going. Verse verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes... There it is. Faith should have eternal life. Faith leads to life. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, I I can't think of any clearer way to say this, okay? Whoever believes faith has eternal life. Faith leads to life. Faith leads to life. Church, could he have been any more clear? The whole message has been this. And now we come to the conclusion and the people are still asking this question. How can we eat his flesh? Do you see the stubbornness of their unbelief? Do you see the hardness of their hearts? This metaphor of eating and drinking referred to believing in Jesus, having faith in Jesus, and it was clear throughout His message, which brings us kind of to this the second point or the second step, if you will, in receiving Christ. Remember I said eating begins with hunger, right? And so does receiving Christ. And but But in order to eat, you actually have to trust. You have to trust the food you're about to consume, right? You have to have faith. You know, I'm always amazed by the five-second rule. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? If you don't know what I'm talking about, chances are you still used it in your life. The five-second rule basically um, says that if you drop food on the ground, and uh, if you can pick it up within five seconds, that food should be just as good or just as safe to eat as though you hadn't dropped it at all. Okay, so I'm in the car, and I'm eating fries, French fries, okay? And one of those fries slips into that awful space. You know what I'm talking about, right? between the driver's seat and the armrest, that space. And so what do I do? I leave the 99, and I go after that one. Squeeze my finger in there, grab it out, pull it out, inspect it, and there's no signs of contamination. What do you do? You, can no one say amen to this? Like, am I the only one who does this? Of course you do, right? Of course you do. What's my point? My point is, to bring spoon or fork to mouth actually requires trust. You may not even think about it. You go to a restaurant, and you order food, and they bring it to your table, and you cut it up, and you bring it to your... You are already... You trust the chef. Even though you don't say it out loud, or you don't even think about it, you trust the establishment, you trust the food, you trust where they got the food, right? It's implied. And so it is with Christ. Christ. To receive Him, you must trust and believe. You have to believe that He is the Son of Man. You have to trust that you have no life apart from Him. Eating requires hunger, yes, but eating also requires trust. That's number two. Now, before we move to number three, I need to cover a side note, if that's okay. Um, about the verses we just covered, because this passage that we're covering right now, this John 6, verses 51 to 59, this is actually used by Roman Catholicism um, to justify a doctrine they have called transubstantiation, okay? It's a big word. Um, Basically, what it means is that during communion, they believe that the bread and the wine literally become the body and blood of Christ, Okay? So what that means is that at every Mass, um, the congregation is eating the very body and blood of Jesus. Okay? Now, as Reformed Baptists, we reject that, that understanding. Okay? That understanding of communion. Because Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 11, what does he say? Communion is not a re-sacrificing of Jesus. Right? It's not a consuming of the literal body and blood of Jesus. What does he say? He says, do this in remembrance of me. You've heard pastors say it every time we do communion. Do this in remembrance of me. Meaning, the elements remind us. They proclaim to us right, the death of Jesus until he returns. So, why I'm saying this is, Many people might, or or in Roman Catholicism, might use this text, John 6, to justify that doctrine, but remember, Jesus is not talking about communion in this text. Like, this is John 6. Communion hasn't even been instituted yet, right? Right now, the eating and drinking here is not a remembrance. It is a metaphor. We've talked about it. It's pointing to faith, which leads to life. In fact, if anything, if the, if the crowds were to be thinking about anything else, what do you think this text would have reminded them? The sacrificial language in this text would have actually reminded them of Passover. Passover. Why do I say that? Because during Passover, what happened? A lamb was sacrificed, the flesh was eaten, right? The blood was poured out and was painted on the doorposts, right? In order for those inside the home to be spared during the Passover, so all that to say, I just want, I just had to address it because it is part and parcel of what what this text means to us as a church. If you want to know more, okay, for those who are interested, the the 1689 London Baptist Confession is a statement that I found incredibly helpful. If you want to know more, chapter 30. For those who are jotting it down, I don't see anyone, but hopefully there is one, maybe on the balcony, writing it down, chapter 30. (laughs) Um, And if you want to know more about what we believe about communion. Okay, so, back to the passage. So receiving Christ involves hunger first, then we said trust, and now we come to the third um, point or third step that I see in this text, and that is union. Okay, union. Look at verse 56. Verse 56. Um, there we go. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. What a beautiful hymn. Thank you for doing that. Um, As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. So, so you can have hunger in your stomach, right? And, and you can trust what's on your plate, but, but in order for you to actually eat, at some point, the act of eating involves consuming your food, right? You have to ingest your food. You have to chew and break it down by the salivary acids in your mouth. You have to swallow it, right? So that peristalsis takes that bolus of food into your stomach, where digestive enzymes go to work on it right? And then it has to go pushed on to the small intestine and then the large intestine where all those nutrients can be absorbed like vitamins and minerals and, 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 and electrolytes and water and fat and carb and protein. And why am I ruining your lunch with all these gory details? Because I want to show you that when you eat, the food which was once separate from you, the food that was, which was once apart from you has become you has become a part of you. It becomes one with you. It's intimately united to you. It's essentially you. And you are what you eat. And it is this intimate union, this connection, this bond that Jesus is picturing when you and I receive him. When you receive Jesus, you become united to him. Is that that not amazing to you? That is profound, church. Jesus says in verse 56, you abide in him and he abides in you. And and that word abide in the Greek, it means to remain as one, to continue together, right? To not depart, to stay, to remain, to dwell. Can you turn to someone beside you? If you believe it, turn to someone and say, I am united to Christ. Go ahead. I am united to Christ. Yeah, those who are alone, maybe you can do do across the aisle. I'm united to Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? Galatians 2.20. You know, whenever um, I'm asked to prepare a sermon, there's one part of it that is, I would say, actually relatively easier, is the academic portion where you're studying and preparing and but the part that I find, I find more difficult um, is the, am I living this out? <laughs> what I'm about to say to all these people? Am I, do I believe this? Have I applied this to my life? And Because uh, it's not head knowledge, right? This, this is supposed to change us. This is the Word of God. It's supposed to change our lives. So I want to share with you two ways, just personally, two ways that this idea, I am united to Christ that truth, how it can change the way you live, okay? Two, just two examples. This, these past few weeks in my own life, when I was tempted to sin against God, this is the first way, okay? Don't look at me like that. You know I was tempted. We were all tempted, right? They're like, oh, he was tempted? We were all tempted to sin against God, right? Balcony, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> we were all tempted to sin against But when I was tempted to sin against God, I tell you the truth, when this truth came to my mind, I'm united to Christ. Like, he's abiding with me. That means I'm not the man I used to be. Like, wherever I'm going, he's going with me. Right? And so, if I'm united to him, if he's here, how can I then go and unite myself to that which he hates? How can I do that? Right? And so, the first way that I found this, this truth to be so helpful is in combating temptation, reminding yourself, no, 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 I am united to Christ. And the second way it helped me is when I when I fell into sin, which I did. Whenever I fell into sin, you know what happens, right? Those feelings of guilt, the feelings of condemnation, right? That feeling of being defeated, that feeling of being discouraged, like, oh, I've done it, I've I've fallen into this. At those times when I remembered this truth, I am still united to Christ, right? Like like my sin didn't have the power to break that union. In fact, the one whom I've hurt is still bonded to me in my brokenness. He's right here. He's reminding me of the blood that was shed to pay for this very sin, of the body that was broken already for my sake. And he's gently encouraging me back to the, the, the words in the path of life. Isn't that amazing? This truth is so powerful. If you really take it in and understand, you are united to Jesus Christ. And nothing breaks that. Nothing can break that. So that brings us to the final, final verse, verse 58. If you can turn there, Jesus concludes in verse 58. He says, this is the bread that came down from heaven not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Okay? There's a contrast being built here, okay? So whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So the fourth and final point, okay? So eating involves hunger, trust, union. The fourth point I want to bring up to you today is eating sustains life. Eating sustains life. A little history. In the Old Testament... After the people of Israel left Egypt, they left slavery. Before they got to the promised land, they were stuck in a wilderness, right? Right? 40 years they were stuck in the wilderness. And the thing you have to know about a wilderness is a wilderness is by definition a non-habitable land. Right? Meaning like food and drink or water is not readily accessible, right? It's not readily available. And so In Exodus 16, we read that the people, after some time, they began to grumble. They actually began to complain, and they even charged Moses and Aaron and God, and what do they say? You have brought us out of Egypt where we had all the flesh pots that we could eat. You brought us to this place, and now we are going to die of starvation in this wilderness. That's what they charged them. We're going to die here, right, because they knew that without food, without sustenance, how could they survive? How could their children survive? And so, as we read the story in, in Exodus, Moses tells us God, in His mercy and His grace, what does He do? He miraculously responds to their complaining, miraculously by providing them this flake-like, fine as frost uh, bread, okay, called manna. Okay, this happened. This is this is the Old Testament. This is Exodus sixteen. And for the next 40 years, okay, take that in, four decades, 40 years, till they came to the habitable land, the promised land, this is what the people ate, right? They ate this bread, this manna, this, 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 this daily manna from heaven. That's how they survived, okay? But as amazing as that is, and that's amazing, right? Think about it. An entire nation sustained for four decades, right? Right? that's amazing yet in the final verse of our text this morning what does jesus point out he points out the one thing that that manna could not do verse sorry verse 58 uh, brother the one thing that manna couldn't do and what was it it couldn't keep them from death it couldn't keep them from death Yes, it sustained them, right? It sustained them for many years. Some of them even lasted beyond the wilderness, right? They got to the promised land, and they died there, right? Surrounded by milk and honey. And others died somewhere along the wilderness. But the fact remains that that manna could not ultimately sustain life. But friends, not so with Jesus. Not so with Jesus, with the living bread that has come down from heaven because those who receive him, their lives are sustained without end. Their lives are sustained into eternity. What a truth to remind our brother Herm for Carol today in eternity with her Savior and Lord because she ate of the bread of life. So, as we conclude, I know that eating is something probably you haven't thought about this much in a long time, right? Um, You've done it since the day you were born, and it's something we easily take for granted you're going to do more of it today. You've already done some today, probably, most of you. But I pray that eating, this basic act, will mean more to us now in light of what Jesus has taught us. That Jesus in his wisdom chose such a basic fundament, something that any human being can relate to, right? He chose such a basic act to teach us how to receive him. And so the next time you experience hunger for food, maybe it's right now, I don't know, but the next time you experience hunger for food, remember your hunger for God. The next time you bring food to your mouth, remember the trust you you need to have for the bread of life, the living bread. The next time you digest your food, remember the union, the intimate union between your life and Christ. And the next time you give thanks, For the sustenance of a meal, give thanks for the eternal life Jesus sustains in you who believe, in you who believe. And if you've never eaten of this bread of life, okay, I know there are some of you here who you're hearing me speak about eating bread, drinking blood, and you're thinking, this is, I've never received Jesus this way. I've never received him by faith. Um... If that's you, I want to tell you something. The manna that you're eating now will only sustain you so long. It'll only sustain you. There will soon come a time where you will seek all you want for the bread of life that's being offered this morning. The bread of life, Jesus Christ. You will seek all you want for this bread and it won't be found. I tell you, it won't be found. There will come a time when it won't be available. So today... If you will receive this bread, if you will believe, you can have life. You don't need to wait. What are you waiting for? Receive Him and live. Worship team, if you can come and let us uh, rise together, congregation, and we'll pray. Um, Pray for each one of us. Those of us who have received and those who have not. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I thank you that, um, Lord, that the manna was not enough. As miraculous as that manna was, oh, Lord, it was only pointing to what you were going to do. You were going to come down as the living bread. That sustains life. I thank you that you have taken such a basic, such a fundamental exercise that we are all well accustomed to and taken it and, and, and used it to teach us, oh God, what it means to receive you, to hunger for you, to trust you, to be united to you, and to gain sustenance from you, gain our life, our eternal life from you. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who know you, when they struggle to spend time with you, when they struggle to enjoy the feast that you have prepared, oh Lord, I pray where am I stuffing my soul with small, meaningless, lesser things so that when I come to the, to, to, to the source of the fountain of life, when I come to the word of words of life, I'm already stuffed. Forgive us, O oh God, those of us who know you. Forgive us, O oh God, for filling our souls with all kinds of things that are, that are passing. Help us, O oh God, to take seriously how we feed ourselves, that we would not be stuffed, that we would, we would hunger for you, for we know that you will satisfy, only you can satisfy. And for those who don't, who don't know you, who have not received you, they may find this to be a hard teaching. Just like those in in Jesus' day. They may think this is a hard teaching. Who can receive it? But Lord, would you open their eyes to see beyond the literal, physical, superficial, to see the deep, the truth, the spiritual, life-giving truth within your word. Help them to see it, O God. And help them not to remain the way they are. May they receive Jesus and live. That's our prayer for those here in the sanctuary, those watching from home. So we thank you, we give you all the glory, and um, do your work in every heart, starting with mine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.